Hi, my name is Ian Parry and welcome to What the Future, the podcast which explores what it means to be a future leader. We speak with interesting people about topics that matter. In today's episode, we're discussing COP26. This episode is produced in partnership with Hope Energy, the UK's greenest energy retailer due to launch later this year. Today, we welcome Ruby Miller, Jordanova, Andy Colton and Andrew Costland. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hi, Good afternoon. Lovely to have you on board. Um, so, so we've had a little bit of time to digest um, you know, what happened at, at COP26 and a bit of time has passed. So we're not, this podcast isn't about kind of all about what happened on the day, but we, we kind of need to start to understand that. Now, Ruby Miller, you were the only one from this group that had the, uh, the benefit of, of attending. So I suppose it'd be great to start with you to help our listeners understand what it was like there. Um, you know, people will have ideas of, of what it was like. Um, and of course, whether, you know, what sort of stuff happened up to the event as well. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of helping us um, understand what the event was like, whether it lived up to your expectations or not, and, and just give us a feel for what was happening as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so for those of the listeners that maybe are not familiar with my work, uh, my name is Yuvamila. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Plan A. We're a software as a service company that enables uh, corporates and other sized businesses to manage their net zero journey and go on a trajectory to reduce their emissions. I'm also the co-founder of the Green Tech Alliance, uh, where we have more than 1,300 uh startups as members uh, that work on addressing different challenges related to climate change. We support them with capital, visibility, and other types of resources. The context of my participation in COP was because I spoke uh, as part of the official program on day three, which was dedicated to finance, um, and also because I was speaking at the New York Times Climate Conference, um, which was also happening in Glasgow. I think COP is a very particular event. Uh, it's an event that has been historically dedicated to governmental bodies. Uh, this is where they meet on an annual basis to discuss uh, the future of the global agenda related to climate change. Uh, and this year, what was particularly different was that it actually invited different stakeholders, uh, businesses, activists, uh, NGOs, essentially with the aim uh, to stimulate and uh, promote a different type of conversation that was encompassing all perspectives that really matter. Um, I can go on in length and we're going to have a long discussion about actually how I felt about the event. Uh, but in a nutshell, it was a very unique experience. Um, I must say I've never been in a place where so many people think at the same time uh, in a positive way about the necessity to address climate change. Um, and that really stimulated me to be, uh, in a way, positive uh, um, about the, uh, the existence of this event, not about all the outcomes of it, but definitely mm -hmm. about the fact that this is uh, possible on an annual basis. Cool. Okay, thank you. Um, and obviously, Andrew and Andy, you were outsiders, uh, really interested outsiders, as in you hadn't got to the event, um, but, but you'd have had your, your views as well. So. You know, what, what observations did you have, Andy, first first off, if you wouldn't mind just giving us your thoughts? Yeah, and it's really interesting, isn't it, here, here in Lewside, and obviously we've had a chat um, offline before before the podcast, because I think the, what you read about in the press is not necessarily, you know, the, the, the be-all and end-all of what really happened, because I think there was certainly a narrative, it seemed, at the end of COP26, that it was a failure, or at least a, 
you know, semi-failure. That was certainly the press here in the UK, I think it's fair to say. Um, and that the agreements all got kind of watered down and there was a real concentration on, you know, the the, the number of, of, um, of organisations with fossil fuel backgrounds turning up and versus, you know, climate activists. And so there was a little bit of a negative press, I think it's fair to say. And I think mm-hmm. it felt like it was, yeah, it was somewhat of a failure. I think it's really interesting hearing from people who were there, and, and um, yeah, obviously we've, we've chatted to Lou about this, that let's not forget this is, you know, this wasn't the be all in it. This wasn't the only thing, you know, this isn't the only chance. This wasn't the only time people get to discuss these sorts of things. It's an ongoing process. Conversations are still ongoing. Agreements are still being made. And I think that's really, really important to remember. So, so whilst perhaps, you know, it felt like it was a, li- a little, a little disappointing. I think the reality, the reality is, our expectations were too high. You know, we were never going to come away having the silver bullet for climate change, which seemed to be like the narrative going in. So I think our expectations were too high and we need to be realistic about, you know, it's a, it's a journey. Um, so yeah, it's great to hear Lou's story on that. Cool, thank you. Maybe I can just add a, just to add a one sentence on this because I feel like uh, I fully uh, am aligned with what was just said. Uh, I feel like, all of us that are engaged in the sustainability discussion and on a daily basis work with this, uh, combined with all the people that just joined uh, this, right? Uh, they've been there maybe for one or two years. All together build up this expectation that somehow overnight uh, we can solve these issues that have been piling up over decades. It's not how it works. <laughs> in the same way that we've been destroying our planet, so we would need to uh, make it healthy again uh, with a lot of systemic action uh, so COP is not a silver bullet. COP is not a um, kind of patched up uh, solution. It's actually uh, a symptom of a disease, uh, but also a symptom of uh, of progress that has been uh, seen over the last 24 months. Thank you. Uh, and Andrew, anything else you'd, you'd add to what Andy had already covered there? I, I mean, it, it's, it's really interesting listening to, to all of you and, and, and our, you know, sc- writing some notes about what I was thinking and, and and totally agree that we shouldn't expect COP to be this flashbang, wow, we've solved it moment. You know, that that's not how this works. It's a, it's a moment in history, but and what happens outside of COP and before COP and now after COP is actually what what matters. Um and 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 really it's it's really positive to hear and and, and you kind of saw that energy on the outside of people, like-minded people getting together. It wasn't about the world leaders necessarily. It was also about these, all these amazing brains getting in the same room. Um, but it, it does play, I think, an important role in reminding us why um, climate change is not universally believed in, and and and, and, I, and I, that pains me. That really does pain me. But it's not universally felt. And I think some of the really powerful messages. I mean, the, the amazing presentation from David Attenborough at the start, but. And also the, you know, there was a lady from um, one of the Pacific nations, I think it was the Marshall Islands, talking about, you know, this is actually going to happen to us in the next 10 years and talking about their own social struggles with that, their environmental struggles, just having the, the human capital to deal with it, never mind about the finance. So I think I think that is that I think it does play a really important role in the why, but I think we all agree the solutions actually come outside of it, which which is hopefully what all of us on this call are trying to do. You know, I, I think I'm not going to judge you all. You know, but I think that's what you're all trying to do. Um, you know, and uh, and and it's it's really inspiring, and that that just you know keeps me going when I'm working out if I still want to keep fighting to to sort this out. You know, or I helps. Think, 
I think that word you mentioned, inspiring, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think, and I hope that it has been inspiring for, you know, the generation coming, um, of which there were, you know, there were a number of people outside, weren't there? Lots of, lots of young activists, um, because they're the ones that are going to save us, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, I, th I agree. I agree. So that, that, that helps our listeners understand, um, you know, what the, what the event was like as it was. And I think, listening to you all talking, it's pretty clear that there was a lot more going on in advance than, than maybe we were reading in the press. So, so as, a, as somebody watching it happening, um, you're only hearing what you're being told, of course. So you kind of go, ah, oh, right, okay, so you've got this event, and I'm sure it was organised, but but hearing, to you all, hearing from you all, obviously there's a lot more going on in advance of it. Um, expectations have to be managed during the event. Um, but moving on now, obviously we're, we're a number of months past that. Um, I suppose just starting with you, uh, Lou, you know, do you, do you think that the promises or the actions that were made on the day, are you seeing them being kept too broadly? Is, is this kind of ethical leadership continuing beyond COP26 or, or are you a little bit disappointed? I think I have learned to be realistic about my expectations about anything happening in climate change yeah. after five, six years in this field, because as much as we see progress on one side, we somehow see uh, a lot of uh, destruction and also uh, kind of retreatment from commitments uh, on the other. So we can't satisfy ourselves yet with... Uh, just general statement about how far we are and how positive things are going because they're just continuously uh, improving and also uh, going worse in some and other places. Um, what COP delivered on uh, and has been continuing to deliver on is uh, first of all engagement, business engagement. I feel like uh, there's never been a better moment uh, for you to ask uh, the company from which you buy your clothes or from which you by your food about their climate commitments because they felt the pressure uh, before, during, and I think continuing now uh, after COVID. Um, this is something that has a long lasting effect and I'm excited to see how this is gonna turn out um, as actual reduction results uh, for the next few months and years because the truth is, is that we need businesses to engage to actually effectively address climate change. The other thing that has been, um, I would say, uh, effectively uh, kind of uh, addressed or kind of kicked off has been the uh, Glasgow uh, Association uh, alignment essentially uh, around the net zero financing. Uh, so GFA and Z, uh, the, the Alliance for Net Zero uh, is uh, actually uh, committing uh, a huge amount of money uh, and, and this uh, hundreds of uh, uh, billions are actually going to be going towards this reduction of emissions of the finance industry. Um, and there's already a lot of steps that different banks are taking to uh, follow up on this. Um, and I would say uh, maybe a more meta level uh, achievement has been the fact that uh, there is definitely for the first time a voice for different stakeholders that previously were ignored. I feel like the stages at which uh, I was able to uh, participate as an audience uh, at some of the plenaries, but also on the ones where uh, I was uh, speaking, I was able to see faces that normally are never part of the conversation. Um, activists from Africa, 
uh, people that come from a fund in the middle of Asia that normally uh, just wouldn't engage at this uh, level, which makes me feel like, uh, you know, we, we kind of understand how important it is for every stakeholder to play a part. And for next year, I feel like enough words have been said. Uh, there's now actually tracking for what these words mean in terms of actions. Uh, so a lot has been done. Uh, I can kick off the criticisms. We're probably uh, maybe first listing what actually has been the progress. Cool. Thank you. Um, Andrew, it's really difficult to add to, to that when you've got such a, a well-spoken expert uh, on the mm -hmm. podcast. It's really hard to kind of add to things. But just just a, like a, maybe a, a simpler question then. Do you, do you, do you think looking back now that it was too much all talk about the event or do you think delivery has has, has sort of come back around? Um, no, I don't think it has been all talk. Um, a couple of things that we just mentioned, which I think are, are really important. I mean, one, you know, one is we could look at our social media feeds and I've dabbled in politics at times and you can get very depressed or you can get very excited. Um, and uh, we can get disheartened or we can get very optimistic and hopeful. Um, the, the, but there are things happening out there and not just the conversation. I think you made a really good point about conversations happening like that Elizabeth lady from Kenya who you know, so eloquently spoke at the start of the conference. It's great to hear those perspectives. They're really, really important. But there's three things I think that have, you know, just examples of why, why the dynamics changed and what, why this isn't all talk. You know, on a government level, particularly in the UK, all of the main parties seem pretty united that we need to solve net zero. They're kind of arguing about how we do it or who's the best at doing it. It's not whether we do it. And that's that's a really important thing happening right at the sort of leadership of the country. Um, consumers are massively changing their behaviour. So back in um, December, or over, sorry, over the last um, year, over 2021, EV sales were up 58%, um, almost surpassing petrol car sales over the year, which is pretty incredible consumer behaviour change, which is mm. one of the things we need to happen. And the last is the infrastructure. So we see about, you know, whether we like them or not, nuclear power stations being built, which are low, lower carbon than other forms of energy generation. But also just in, in normal infrastructure companies, I've, I've started advising um, the railway industry on, on renewables and the transition five years ago they'd be like what the hell we are in effect dinosaurs why would we consider that and now it's like we need to get to net zero we need to build in not just net zero or you know um, energy sources but also talking about climate resilience as well which is which is absolutely incredible so I don't think it is all talk I think there are really good examples of where it isn't and and things like EV sales just catch you by surprise. Suddenly you're sort of driving around town and there's like six Teslas on your way to Morrison's. It's like things happen really quickly. And, and yeah, and it's important to, to remain optimistic, I think. Yeah. Celebrate cool. those. Cool. Thank you, Andrew. And, and Andy, from a Hope Energy perspective, you know, were there, were there things that you would have wanted to have happened by now um, that would have supported Hope Energy's mission, or are you relatively happy and, and content with what's what's gone on? Um, probably echoing a lot of what the guys have already said. I think um, there's there's good stuff and not so good stuff, isn't there? Like in any in any situation, I think um, 
I think it's it's disappointing to read some of the news. So in the in the US in particular, you know the the, the amount of uh, gas and oil permits that are being granted, even under this administration, you know under the Biden administration. I saw an article in the Washington Post about it. It's more than was under Trump. And again, I'm not too sure of all the detail on that, but you know some of that news is is disappointing. I think you know some of the obviously got this dispute with Russia and Ukraine at the moment, which is worrying. We've got you know, China being disengaged. Are that Andrew mentioned in the UK, we're somewhat fortunate that our politicians all seem to be relatively aligned on net zero. In the US, again, it's a different it's a different kettle of fish, and the midterms are coming up. Is that going to mean? You know, the Republicans might might gain some more power and that's then a challenge for, for perhaps net zero. But then th there are clearly things that have worked really well. So um, a lot of the more West, you know, the West, richer nations helping South Africa get rid of coal. There's talks about India and Indonesia having those kind of agreements to get rid of coal as well um, to build more renewables. And that very much is in line with, you know, what we're trying to do as well here at Hope Energy, because we do meet, need more renewables and we do need more innovative ways to source and secure and provide energy so yeah it's, it's a mixed bag and I think in some ways it is still somewhat too early to kind of tell I guess um, I know we're a few months down the line the proof will be in the pudding the fear I always have um, and I think I've mentioned this on some of the other podcasts we've done together Ian is um, a lot of this is driven politically and you know all politicians have a short you know um, time frame in mind because it's all about getting re-elected you know it's four or five years and it's really hard then to come up with a longer term plan and ambition and especially a costly one which may well be the case yeah um i think yeah we just need to i think what we need to do the the people is continue doing what what we're doing um much like the guys have talked about the sustainable behavior you know there's, there's a clear demand now for people wanting to know where is my product coming from you know where is my energy coming from where's my car coming from um, it's cool as well now. So I think, and you know, Andrew talked about electric cars. It's not just, you know, a hippy dippy, um, buying, buying these sorts of things. Now it's actually cool. And some of the branding is cool and it's acceptable now to be that way inclined. Whereas again, five years ago, 10 years ago, this wasn't really the case. So, um, yeah, so it's a, it's a mixed bag, isn't it? It's a mixed bag, but it's certainly not all doom and gloom yeah. as sometimes the press would have you believe. Absolutely. And I just want to pick up on one of the, the points you make. And, and you know, we've, we talked about the role of government in, in a lot of the stuff that happened at, at COP26, global government. Um, do, do you think, Andy, that 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 sort of uh, organisations and businesses and communities, can, can they step away from government and, and fix things or do they need government? Absolutely. What do you, what do you think to, to get things done? I think, I think in a nutshell, no, they need, they need them. We, everyone needs to work together on this. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, stepping away outside and not talking to government is, is going to, is going to be the solution. It will help, you know, again, it's another, it's another lever to pull um, because you can start to drive support and, and a movement and, um, you know, consumer pressure. But I think it's got to be, this has got to be a, a fight that we're all, we're all part of. And I think you can't get away from the fact government, yeah, they're the ones who are going to control a lot of the purse strings and whether to invest or not. So I think it's going to have to be a combination of, of all the above, which is a challenge when you do have governments that, as Andrew again stated at the outset, don't maybe don't necessarily believe in climate change or how quick we have to uh, tackle it. So, so that would be my view. Really interested to hear what Lou's got to say on that. Um, yeah, what do you, what do you think, Lou? 
I feel like there's uh, this constant uh, battle still up until today when we supposedly have more information about the problem at hand uh, that someone needs to take responsibility and it's either governments or individuals or businesses or NGOs or scientists and I feel like the truth is somewhere in the middle uh, mm. but in the cases when one stakeholder does not take responsibility it is actually uh, for the rest of the stakeholders to take the burden so I feel like as much as I am really concerned for the many governments that are not taking a stance I feel like the strength with which customers are pushing against unsustainable practices, the request for transparency of employees on the action that the companies they work for uh, are responding to climate change is leading to big shifts. And even if someone says now, okay, but what about Asia? What about Africa? Places that are heavily influenced by climate change and maybe this kind of uh, movements are not that important there. The truth is, is that globalization has made us so connected and actually the products that we consume are heavily dependent on natural resources from uh, these places or production in these places, which means that uh, when a product that is uh, with a European label, uh, but is actually with natural uh, resources from uh, Asia um, is considered unsustainable, the company is actually uh, having to take steps to make it more sustainable and asks from suppliers that are uh, in the particular place, like what are they doing about sustainability? And we've already seen it with our clients. Uh, we work with Big Automotive in Germany, for example, and they work with suppliers from China. Uh, and they've told their suppliers, you need to reduce your emissions by 50% within the next five to 10 years. And we're tracking this and we're going to check you in two years to see what the progress is. And if you have not, we're going to be switching. So uh, I feel like there's a lot of power in businesses and uh, I also feel like there's a lot of power in consumers and in individuals as a whole in the voice that they can use uh, to actually lead this change um, and also pressure uh, uh, governments who are not taking action to take so. But honestly, after uh, so many years now in the discussion in the action uh, against climate change globally, I definitely feel like the last 12 months have led to a fundamental shift in the way the topic is perceived. And maybe still we're doing a bit more talking than action, but uh, there's actually a lot of action being taken that to me is going to have a domino effect on uh, industries, nations, and uh, just even individuals. Absolutely. Andrew, is there something else you want to jump in on there? Sorry. Well, I... Always, I think it's really interesting, and uh, it's a really interesting discussion. But I, I just just reflecting really that it, it, it is it is really good, and maybe one of the, the really important things to COP and, and actually all the other climate conferences that happen and, and and things that get people together is that you know we we are you know it, change is being inspired in corporations, but I think I think the challenge is of course um, in climate change is the truth is fundamentally important. Like, for example, you know, a company saying that it's behaving green because it's, you know, planting a few trees or um, selling more EVs, while at the same time, buying high carbon steel, uh, burning gas to heat the factory, whatever it is, you know, is, 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 they're not compatible. You have to be universally green to make this work. That's the truth. And, and, and we, we've really got to make sure that, that companies going forward are, are held to account by the truth. 
Um, and, and, and I think that's, that, that's the, unfortunately, in our post-truth world at the moment, which we do live in, and it's important to remember that, um, that's, that's, that's something that's, you know, probably, I, th I think, one of the biggest risks to climate change. We could, we could all go through believing that X, Y, and Z behaviour is super green and ignore that A, B, and C on the other side are actually, you know, melting the planet anyway. And, and that's a realistic scenario in the way social media works and the mm. way um, the way companies work. Is, is, it, is, it, is, is it as clear um, to people, do you think, then, that kind of, you know, this is good behaviour, this is not so good behaviour, this is terrible behaviour, and there's a, for me, I, as you would think, as you were talking, then I was imagining a roadmap for a business that starts with these sorts of changing behaviours and gets to this point. And along the way, you become greener, but you're not green until you establish this this thing. Is is that is that clear enough? Do you think? Well, I I don't think it is. I meet people all the time who say to me, "But I, I recycle my plastic bottles, so it's all right," while still chucking other plastic waste in the normal bin. You know, I'm just on a on a really basic you know, level. People who say I am turning green, but they've still got a gas boiler. The UK saying. We're giving up coal power stations because it's important for net zero while becoming more and more dependent on international gas, which is still a really dirty fossil fuel. You know, there's all of these contradictions going on. And I, and I, 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 think, I think it's very easy to get sucked up. I mean, yeah, my website, all the time people are like, it's great we're off coal, it's great we're off coal, it's great we're off coal. And there's this glaring number on the website, 50% of our energy is still coming from a fossil fuel gas big problem and 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 i think i think that is so important because you know these aren't simple always these simple crisp really clear arguments you can't always get you know like build back better or get brexit done they're not simply they are too simplistic to be truthful and and that's that that is a problem that we face but hmm. sorry I'll, I'll get off my high horse here and i'm sure no, you no, that's that's absolutely <laughs> fine um I guess a question to, to Andy and Luke then, you know, who is, is it a response? Is it the responsibility of government to make that message clearer and that roadmap cleaner? Or is it businesses that are working on the outside of um, government to support this, this sort of journey? Is that, is that where, where it comes from? Maybe we can take a step back and actually think of the fundamentals in the education that we're challenged by. I feel like the main issue that we face at the moment is that climate change at this point is explained as this scientific occurrence that is a bulk of a lot of different issues that people just don't get uh, that is leading to increased frequency and speed of natural disasters. But beyond that, like, it gets quite fluffy and maybe a bit more incomprehensible how exactly climate change is changing your life if you're not living in, uh, living in the global south uh, at the moment. And I think we need to get to that point where this scientific knowledge is digested by different stakeholders. I don't want to distribute responsibility because I feel like there's many ways and many paths we can take for this to be possible. We do it in Plan A uh, through our own uh, kind of product and the way we engage with our clients. But I think governmental programs which explain to people what is the benefit of being coming more sustainable is one step that can be taken. Um, connecting actual uh, disasters that are happening to climate change as an expectation for what media should be also telling us the stories should be another step that we take. 
and also engaging in a, a cross-dimensional discussion, uh, which allows us really to open up about how we feel about this existential threat. Because I feel like there's a lot of climate anxiety that is suppressed somewhere because it feels better not to think about the future in such a complex, high-level way when you can just switch on Netflix and be fine for another few hours until the next day has come. There's so many steps that we need to take, but probably the most important element of all of that is that we need to face the reality that climate change exists. And we need to face the reality that climate change is part of our existence on a day-to-day basis, regardless of where we live. And it is increasing in frequency and speed by uh, different actions that we take. But until we don't connect the dot between all of those and we don't do it in a way that it's not about oversimplifying, but it's about comprehending, we're not going to be able to really get the buy-in of the many uh, in them taking action to switch to green energy, to become uh, on the path of reducing their emissions, or even just on the path of being an advocate for the topic. Um, So I think this is just the fundamental issue we have in terms of the way we communicate climate change at the moment. A couple of words I think you both mentioned, and I've, I've scribbled it down in some of my notes. And it sounds like I think the Tories from the 90s, but ed, sorry, the Labour from the 90s, education, education, education. Absolutely right, because you know if you can get that right, the the rest the rest will just come. Um, until until we do, it it just it just won't, frankly. So, and I think it's not just there's multiple facets to that. It's education around basics of climate change you know it's got to start there of course but also I think education around media you know and how that works because I, I was never taught that stuff at school you know kind of left and right and you know how there's narratives out there and depends on on what you read so I think there's, there's an element of just being educated around that um, and and also then educated around products so again you know what's really green or what's really sustainable um, and I think we're getting there. I think we're there's, where we are now versus where we were, you know, even a couple of years ago or five years ago is massively, massively different. But if you touch, say, you know, our sector energy, so many organizations will claim to offer, you know, 100% renewable energy tariffs. But when you look at, well, where do they buy their wholesale energy from? It's, you know, certainly not 100% renewable sources. So it's, you know, again, it's an education piece around, well, why is that then? How does that work? Um, so yeah, it's 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 got it's got to start with with education. Um, yeah, I'll get off my high horse there as well. <laughs> so um, just just kind of taking it into the actions that that you three are taking, either as individuals or the businesses that you represent. Then, so starting with you, Andrew. So you know, tell us what three things you'll deliver that will make a difference. Uh, three things I think are really important. For me is one is enabling so a lot of my work is about trying to help people understand carbon understand changes they can make uh, one of which i should plug is following hope energy but um you know in a more professional environment of course you know learning and accounting for carbon um the second is building the infrastructure i think we've got to build a lot of infrastructure be that solar farms and wind farms or lower carbon transport um, and, and as I say, I think the third is is trying to get this this post-truth world. So yeah, working really hard on on my grid GB, which is my my website, but that's all about what what's electricity producing. Um, if I may sneak in a fourth, I think it's being involved with people like yourself, Ian, because it, it, listening to this, are hopefully people who are going to be the future leaders, and and that's that's really important. 
Cool. I, I'll allow that that fourth sneak in. There. <laughs> That's fine. Cool. Um, and 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 Andy, what about what about you? So I stole all my bloody answers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's all the same sort of stuff. So I mean, obviously, I hope we really hope hope energy, pun intended, um, kicks off. So you know, the idea being it will be a, a carbon negative uh, energy tariff that we'll be providing to help reduce the amount of carbon that we produce from our energy here in the UK. And linked to that is our own ambition for generation. So again, as Andrew has said, um, whether it's solar or it's wind, it's community energy, whatever whatever it is. I think linked to that then is um, what, what, what are other products that are going to be um, demanded by our types of customers who, who will come with us? Um, and can we make them similarly you know, carbon negative? So, and, and by carbon negative, we're talking about the life cycle of emissions from whatever it is that's generated. What can we do to counteract you know the the carbon that's produced so i think it's, you know those couple of things and the final one is it's the the fourth one that andrew's cheated on uh, it but it's, it's working with others it's talking to others you know um it's it's amazing being part of green tech alliance um that lou set up because there's yeah 1300 other organizations all trying to do the right sorts of things uh, with some fantastic ideas um and it energizes you you know it really energizes you if you're having a bad day and you think what the hell am i doing you know speaking to some of the other guys and girls in in that group is it's you know really does give you energy so it is it's talking to like-minded people it's you know sharing stories it's um, helping one another and uh, yeah can continue to do that cool thanks andy and lastly you Lumula. so what, what are the sort of three things i'm sure it'll be very difficult for you to squeeze it into three as well so maybe a fourth <laughs> first of all thank you so much andy it makes me so happy to hear uh what the Green Tech Alliance brings to you, because that's the point of it. And I feel like the Green Tech uh, company building journey could be quite of a lonely one, because as much as we think there's many companies that do the good thing, uh, and we think that uh, there are thousands and we should be able to easily connect, the truth is, is that this is not the case, or at least it was not for me when I was kicking off mm -hmm. uh, my own company. Um, so the first thing, of course, is actually the impact of the work of Plan A. We are supporting businesses on effectively reducing their emissions with suggestions, actions, uh, policy changes so that they uh, can get to at least 40% reduction within the next few decades. Uh, and we have at the moment on average uh, um, 7 to 8% reduction uh, achieved by our clients, uh, which is uh, really exciting, but a long way to go until we hit the 40. Um, I feel this... Uh, company value vision uh, mission is allowing us to immediately have impacts on, on these companies. But I don't think, uh, you know, uh, until we have not achieved it, we can applaud ourselves. So I'm super excited for the next years as I continue uh, working on contributing to, to this. The second thing that uh, I do uh, is uh, really spend quite of my free time to the green tech with the green tech Alliance community uh, I, I do a lot of mentoring. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where you get in. I don't know when you sleep, Lou, and stuff because you're don't. always you're very, very active. Yeah, I I do uh, enjoy mentoring. I do enjoy giving back to this community because I feel like I've been there, especially for the younger companies. And uh, there's just so many unknowns, and you feel like someone needs to be at least giving you uh, the nudge that you're on the right track and that obstacles are not something that should stop you from going forward. Um, and a final one, I kind of go together with Andy in terms of what you said in, uh, in the 
communal element. Uh, I feel like there's so much power in speaking to others and understanding how they're tackling climate change, but there's also just a lot of power in converting people into wanting to do something about it. Uh, I speak on daily basis with businesses, but also with individuals because we hire people for the company and um, also with others that just get in touch on LinkedIn, on other channels. And there's always someone that needs this one sentence that you're going to give them so that they decide to take an action or to change their job or to be uh, essentially excited to to uh, converse on the topic. And that's something that energizes me a lot. But I feel uh, it also empowers me to know that there's a lot of other people and companies and organizations doing the work that is needed. So on a day when you feel tired and you feel like you want to kind of be a bit quieter and maybe not continuously battling uh, through uh, the, the, the the rejection or the negativity about the topic, uh, you can actually find uh, comfort in this. Um, and because you gave me a fourth one, I guess, uh, just on a final uh, on a final step, I think it's uh, a lot about positivity. Uh, I feel like in anything that we do, uh, from all these things that I mentioned, uh, but also just a general day to day, one of the most empowering things that we can all do to be better versions of ourselves for the climate change fight, but also for our individual missions, uh, be it on providing um, um, energy uh, that is sustainable, be it on transforming companies and making them more um, kind of uh, focus on reduction rather than on creation of emissions is really taking the positive attitude and speaking with positivity. No one uh, that pointed fingers at you has ever convinced you to do something, or at least it took a bit longer for you to be uh, converted with this idea that they were selling to you. So I think using uh, the power of like, speaking about the goodness, about why people should do something uh, in a positive way, uh, we stand a better chance of actually uh, being uh, effective advocates for climate change fighting. Cool. Thank you. Um, so that's the end of the podcast, everybody. Um, wow. I mean, I, I love doing these podcasts. I love listening to, to such wonderful expert opinions. But today he's kind of really blown my mind on, on so many different levels. And it really makes me feel positive as to what the future can look like with with lots of lots of people like like you three working hard um to fix things so thank you very much i really appreciate your time today um and as always for, from a listener point of view thanks for choosing to listen to what the future if you enjoyed this episode then please hit the subscribe button and, and tell others uh, more about us um and obviously future leaders we're a mentoring program so if you're looking for a mentor or want to become a mentor um, please check us out on www.futureleadersmentoring.com. Uh, but that's all we have for this week. Um, thanks for everybody for, for taking part and for listening as well. And we will speak to you again soon. Thank you.